everyone. Welcome to the Enlighten Me podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie, and I'm super glad you're here. You are listening to episode 48 of the show, and this is an episode that I've wanted to do for a super long time, so I'm really excited for you to hear it. Climate change, global warming, this is what we're talking about today. What exactly is it? Is it even real? Why do some people not believe in these things? When I came across Laura online, I knew she'd be the perfect person to help us understand what exactly is going on. So Laura Diaz is a sustainability professional. She studied climate science in school and currently works in local government as a sustainability expert. She also hosts her own podcast called EcoChic, where she talks about all things sustainability and practical climate science. So again, I knew she would be the perfect person to help us understand There are so many topics that she covers on her own show. I truly think there's something for everyone. And today we sat down for about an hour and talked all about climate change. In part one that you're listening to right now, we discuss what it is, why it's happening, and why it needs our attention. She helps to break down some of the confusing terms that we can often hear like greenhouse gases and carbon emissions. And we also discussed why this is such a controversial topic. Why do some people not believe that this is real and why has it been so politicized? And we also discuss why, even if you are a person of faith who believes that we don't have to worry about the future, why we should still care about what's going on. It was such a pleasure to have Laura on the show. I learned so much from her, and I know that you will too. She really helped me to realize that we don't have to all be scientists or climate experts to understand what's going on and why this deserves our attention and our action. Don't forget about writing a review for the show. If you think that this show is good, and if you think that other people should hear it and should hear some of these topics that we discuss, then help me to get the word out. Writing a review does just that. Writing a review truly helps more people to find the show, and so does sharing the show. Whether it's via word of mouth to friends or posting about it online, all these things help more people to find the show and to tune in and to learn about these topics that I think are super important. I want to take a second to give someone a shout out who did take the time to write a review. This review is from Win with Gwen. They said, so much great content, thought-provoking topics, fascinating guests, and Mackenzie is such a natural when it comes to interviewing. It's a must listen. Thank you so much for that review. That's super, super kind. And like I said, it really only takes a few minutes, I promise. I'm also currently donating money for reviews, so an extra reason to take the time to leave one if you want to help those in need. Make sure you're also subscribed to the show so that you know when part two is available because Laura is going to be back and is going to be sharing more about the solutions to climate change. But for now, get ready to learn all about climate change from Laura. Okay. Hey, Laura. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mackenzie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to chat with you today. Can you just start with introducing yourself for everybody? Sure. My name is Laura Diaz. I am a sustainability professional and I host a podcast called Eco Chic. I am originally from Miami and I, so I grew up in Miami and I went to school in North Carolina and then I went to graduate school in Arizona and I currently reside in the state of Georgia. So a little geographically ambiguous, I suppose. Yeah. Um, So for work, when I say sustainability professional, I work in local government and I manage Uh uh, sustainability at the local government level, which I think is quite interesting. So more of the policy and infrastructure side of things. Um, I think a lot of people usually assume that that means recycling, but it's more like uh, EV charging stations and how do we 
manage this long term with policy action. So Mm -hmm. that's really exciting. I really enjoy what I do. And the podcast started about two and a half years ago while I was in graduate school. So I've been hosting Yoshi for quite a while. And I love the show. I think I really started the show because there was a void in the space. I think at the time, Mm -hmm. three years ago, sustainability was a little bit more exclusive, I suppose would be the word. Mm -hmm. And there was two very distinct groups that I experienced. So there was the academic side of sustainability, which was climate scientists really encouraging people to get their things together because we only have eight years left to solve the climate crisis. And Mm -hmm. I think the narrative has shifted a little bit and it's been a little bit less of a fear-mongering tactic. And then Mm -hmm. on the flip side, there was the zero waste community, which was a lot of you know, photos of people with their mason jars of trash of the last five years. Mm-hmm. And there really was no middle ground at the time. And I'm really glad that the landscape has shifted a little bit. But mm-hmm. that's really the space where Eco Chic was born. It was for people like me. Yeah. So I am, and I like to talk about it as an eco lifestyle podcast. I like to listen to lifestyle podcasts. I like to talk about things like fashion and skincare and policy and science. Mm -hmm. So I think that filling that space of encouraging people to be multifaceted, you don't have to be one or the other, and you don't have to also completely change your lifestyle to be, you know, creating the amount of trash of the last five years in one mason jar. So I think that attainable sustainability was really missing from the market. and, And that's where I feel. Yeah, that's really cool. Some of your episodes, I think, It's funny because when you say climate change, like some people might think like, okay, how much can you talk about like on a podcast about climate change? But you have such interesting topics and guests on like I've seen, you know, like climate change and religion and, you know, part time veganism, like just really interesting topics that I wouldn't think about talking about. But that makes so much sense when you put them out there. So I think your podcast is super cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's really the goal. It's just to encourage people that climate change doesn't happen in a vacuum. And even if you're not thinking about it every single day, it really does influence your decision making. And it really is impacted by our general collective action. So I think uh, I didn't really mention I, I went to school for climate science and solutions. And that's really where I saw that extreme, um, you know, we need a carbon tax, we need policy support, we need to decarbonize yesterday. So Mm -hmm. I think that more, yeah, extreme kind of academic language around climate change is really off-putting for a lot of people. And it Mm -hmm. really shouldn't be that way because Mm -hmm. whether or not you're thinking about it, it's impacting your life and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. And I also want to mention that I I really love your Instagram account. I was just looking at it again this morning and it's just such a fun account. Like you obviously are discussing important things, but you also have like all these like 90s throwback pictures of movies and stuff like that. I don't know. I just love all the visuals of your Instagram page. Thank you. Thank you. It's funny because it sounds it sounds so silly to say that I'm really proud of it, but mm-hmm. it's an Instagram page that's so me. I really do yeah. like to share a lot of information and I like to give people facts that they may not find on other Instagram pages but again just making it attractive and making it something that you want to look at so Mm -hmm. why not yeah absolutely yeah you do a great job at that thank you so yeah okay so let's jump into talking about climate change first I there's there's a lot to unpack here but first I was hoping you could just kind of break it down like what 
what actually is climate change? Like, what's happening? A lot of us obviously have heard of it, but what what does it actually mean? Like, I feel like we all kind of have this idea, like rough idea, but we couldn't explain it in detail probably. So kind of breaking it down in layman's terms um, or like sharing some of the common terms that we hear, like you said, like those ac- the academic terminology that goes along with it. How would you explain climate change to someone who just doesn't really know what it is? Yeah, that's a great question and I think a really important one. And I usually start off actually defining climate and weather because I think this is where a lot of people get tripped up in their first initial reactions to climate change. And Uh the difference is essentially that weather is what you experience day to day. So is it raining? Mm -hmm. Is it sunny? Is it snowing? What does it feel like outside in that moment? And Mm -hmm. climate is weather just averaged over a 30 year time span. So the difference is really the amount of time that you're recording and what kind of averages you're recording. So is it generally a sunny area or generally a rainy area? And that's why you can say things like Florida has a very tropical climate because it's usually humid and sunny. So Mm -hmm. that's where that terminology really comes from. So it's, it's a matter of data also that goes into both of these things. So whenever you hear people talking about meteorologists, oh, he, the weatherman is always wrong or whatever. It's because he's only dealing with weather from the day before and the day after. And you can only see a few days out when you're looking at weather. Mm-hmm. So I think that's helpful in giving some context. It's really about the amount of data that we're working with. Sure. And when we talk about climate change, it's about that general climate of an area shifting. So a lot of the time this means perhaps farmland is going to move farther north because it's now too warm where it usually was to support those same kinds of crops. Or if we're talking about, again, we can use the example of a tropical climate from Florida, maybe that's going to move further north into Georgia and Alabama and Louisiana and continue further north. So it's about the actual landscapes of these areas shifting because when you have climate change, when you talk about things like weather and warming, which is what we're generally talking about Mm -hmm. it's not only impacting the air and the weather every single day but also the crops that can be grown there the animals that can live there the natural hazards that come in we're going to be seeing hurricanes and more extreme weather events in those tropical areas now that they're moving further north so just thinking Mm -hmm. about all of the things that come along with quite quite literally a shifty climate Mm -hmm. Um, I hope that makes a little bit of sense I know that's Sometimes a lot to unpack right at first glance. I think a lot of people also get tripped up with the word global warming because that's yeah. the term that was used most freely, I suppose. That's the term that Al Gore was using in An Inconvenient Truth. And mm-hmm. global warming implies a general warming of the earth, just like what it sounds like. And that's true. Mm-hmm. That's generally happening. And we are seeing the average temperature of the planet increasing. But it's also a little misleading because people assume that it should mean we're always getting warmer every single day. So if there's a big snowstorm, there's always someone that's like, oh, I wish global warming was happening because then we wouldn't have this. But that just goes along with those more natural hazards being increasingly fueled by uh, warmer temperatures and warmer waterways. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm glad that you mentioned the weather because like in conversations that I've had, I know some people have been like, well... I don't know about global warming because like we had a really cold winter this year, like the coldest we've ever had. I mean, and I I, I agree with you that the term global warming like can be really confusing because it seems like, oh yeah, things are just getting warmer and warmer and warmer. But isn't it true that it's actually just more extreme temperatures? So it makes sense that you would have a colder winter and like a hotter summer. 
Yes, that's completely true. And I think also, so I'm not a meteorologist, I'll go ahead and say that, but a lot of people don't realize that when you have big winter storms, that's also fueled by warm temperatures the same way that uh, the same way that a hurricane, you know, is warmer waters and it hits a colder airway up top. Winter storms are the same way. So it's really just warmer weather coming into contact with cooler weather and that fuels a storm. So that's in oh. very simple ter- terms. So it's really just a matter of the time of year, whether you're getting a hurricane or winter weather. Okay. Yeah, that may, that's, I mean, that's really interesting. Okay, so what about okay, greenhouse gas effect? That's an that's one of those terms where it gets thrown around a lot and it's like I don't know if I could even explain what greenhouse gases truly are. Like I know why they're bad, but I don't know if I could really like define them. So can you explain what greenhouse gases are and what are the their effect? I know you had told me there's actually a good greenhouse gas effect, but that's not what we're experiencing right now with climate change. So can you kind of explain that? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So the greenhouse effect, like you said, it is actually quite helpful. So the greenhouse effect is essentially the the effect, I suppose, of the atmosphere warming the earth. So I think that we all remember from our sixth grade science class, we have the earth in our head, and then there's a little layer around it that protects us from outer space, essentially. And that outer layer, that atmosphere acts as a blanket. So it just traps in the heat that's already on Earth and it keeps us warm. So it's actually quite helpful. It's a natural, it's a natural effect of the Earth. And it keeps the mm-hmm. Earth about 30 degrees warmer. It's between 30 and 33 degrees warmer than it would naturally be without the atmosphere. So there's a lot of places on the planet that wouldn't even be inhabitable without the natural greenhouse effect, if not mm-hmm. most places on the planet. And mm-hmm. what we're concerned about when we talk about climate change is the human induced greenhouse effect. They call it the anthropomorphic greenhouse effect. And that's just a matter of us increasing the production of gases that are being trapped under that blanket. So the same way that you put a blanket over yourself at night and you stay a little bit warmer, that's what the greenhouse effect does to the earth. And if Mm -hmm. we're increasing the gases that are under that blanket, it's just going to continue to trap the gases under there. And that's how we get that overall general temperature warming that we were talking about earlier. Mm. So there are some gases that are pretty well known. So I think the one that people always think of is carbon dioxide, CO2. And Mm -hmm. it's a pretty short-lived gas. That's the other thing to consider is that not all gases exist for the same amount of time. That's called latency period. I don't know if that's a term that gets tossed around all that much outside of academic circles, but not (laughs) all gases really live as long as you would believe. So like water vapor is considered a greenhouse gas and water vapor is only around for a matter of hours, but CO2 is a day or two days. And that's pretty much the the gas that people usually think of. And that's the gas that all other greenhouse gases are measured against in terms of their potency for warming. So another to think of is NO2, NOx. And this one people might remember from Uh, the Volvo car emissions scare or scandal uh, that NO2 is something that's typically found in car emissions and there's different kinds of nitrous oxide and that's why they call it NOx. The X is just meaning it could be NO2, NO3, NO4. And some people might remember this also from acid rain in the 80s. There was a lot of pockets of the U.S. that had these big acid rainstorms and that's also from NO2 in the atmosphere just mixing with the clouds and that's how you get acid rain. So NO2 Mm -hmm. is one that we're a little bit more controlled on now just given EPA standards. 
Um, one that I like to point out often is methane. Methane is one that I think we're hearing more about now. It's CH4. And methane is an interesting one because it's pretty uh, heavily contributed to through animal agriculture and food waste. So I think that's probably the gas that people have the most influence over, which I think is quite interesting. And it gives you some personal stake in the greenhouse gas effect, I suppose. Yeah. So methane is produced when you have something biodegrading. There's a lot of ways, I guess, that methane is produced, but the most typical way that people think of is that when something is biodegrading without oxygen, it produces methane. So a lot of the time, if you're thinking, I'm going camping and I'm going to leave this banana peel or this orange peel or whatever it is to rot and eventually biodegrade. So that's true. And that could happen in about a year if it's just out in the open. But if you are putting food waste, organic food waste, so vegetable peels, food peels, um, even lawn trimmings, a lot of people don't realize is organic waste. When you're putting it in mm-hmm. a trash bag and it's breaking down without oxygen, it actually produces methane and it doesn't properly biodegrade. So that's a huge source of methane emissions, especially coming from the U.S., just landfill-bound organic waste. Mm. And then, so those are pretty much the four that I typically encourage people to look into. Methane is 27 times more potent than CO2 in warming the atmosphere, which I think is always oh, really shocking to hear. So that's one that, again, I really encourage people to think about food waste, and that's probably the easiest one to get a hold of. There are plenty of other greenhouse gases that are warming our atmosphere, and some live longer than others, like I mentioned, but those are usually the four that I like to introduce people to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so are those, like, I mean, I guess I always thought, like, cars were the biggest cause of, like, greenhouse gases or, you know, like, holes in the ozone layer and those things that people talk about, like all our car use and just all the car emissions, like you mentioned with those companies. It So is that, is there like one that is the biggest or is it like just a combination effect of like the food waste and cars or I don't, I don't know if that question makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It's definitely a combination. Actually, from what I understand about all of different greenhouse gases that we have in our atmosphere, some of the worst ones that we have are actually chemicals from refrigerants. A lot of people don't think about them because it's not a very sexy topic, I suppose. But when you have chemicals that are cooling, so it comes from refrigeration, refrigerated trucks, even the things that cool your car engine, those are called RFCs and HFCs. And those are just chemicals that don't have a proper proper recycling technique, I suppose you could call it. There's no Mm -hmm. way to properly dispose of those coolants. And those are the worst, worst greenhouse gases, actually the number one most potent greenhouse gas in warming our atmosphere. And mm. I believe it's something like, I, I don't want to say an incorrect number, but it's something like 200 times more potent than CO2 in warming our atmosphere. Wow. And that is the worst of the worst uh, that we have just entering the atmosphere out of society because we don't have a proper way to recycle it. Mm-hmm. And there's an organization that I really like called Drawdown. They're a nonprofit bipartisan research group. They basically take a whole bunch of climate research and they have researchers on staff and they assign dollar values and savings values and the basically the amount of money that you would have to invest in a particular climate solution that already exists in order for it to truly impact our trajectory mm-hmm. into into the future and you know what is it going to cost to save the planet quote unquote and the most useful, cost-effective, important solution that they look at across the board is 
recycling RFCs and HFCs from refrigerants, which I think is pretty interesting. I would have never thought mm-hmm. that on my own. Yeah, seriously. Probably because, like, that's not one that you see as often, too. Like you said, like, obviously cars were seeing cars all the time, like every day, so many cars on the road and talking about traffic and all the congestion and the smog and that kind of stuff. But that one, it's almost like a little invisible thing that we don't really think about. Yeah, exactly. It, do- it doesn't feel as personal. And I think also, I mean, I would have never thought of refrigerants. And I think there's a lot of things in your life that you kind of just don't think that deeply about. And refrigeration is definitely one of them. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Until you don't have it and you you don't really think about it until then. So I, w- I was wondering, is there like a known time in our history when climate change really started or has climate change always been happening? Or is there like, a, you know, a known time where it started to become really problematic and like you're saying, became like, a, oh my gosh, we only have this much time to solve this problem. Yeah, that's a great question. So the climate in theory has always changed a little bit. There's always Mm -hmm. been temperature fluctuations, but it's typically over like two, 300 year chunks that we see slight increases and slight cooling. And that's how you get things like ice ages and periods like that in geological history, I suppose. And what we're really concerned about is since the industrial revolution, it's pretty easy to pinpoint on a lot of atmospheric data graphs, actually, that at the start of the Industrial Revolution is really when we saw this spike, this unprecedented warming of the atmosphere. And I think that's really interesting because it gives people a very tangible idea of when the problem really started. And that's when we started to industrialize, when we started having factories and cars and real Mm -hmm. economic growth. And it also gives people Mm -hmm. something to tie back to when we think about emissions, it's it's really a cause of modern society. It's really because we live in an, in an economy, essentially. So it's pretty clear to pinpoint industrial revolution. So you think about, let's think about like scrubbers on power plants. A lot of people don't even realize that when you have a power plant, you have one of those stacks in your head. Maybe you're thinking of one of those like really tall towers. And that's where the emissions are coming out of from the power plant inside those tanks and inside of those towers essentially you have scrubbers and that is just to help clean off some of the emissions that are coming out and allow it to enter the atmosphere at levels that the epa has deemed okay but Mm -hmm. given the industrial revolution we didn't have any of that information beforehand and there was no scrubbers and there was no monitoring of what was going into the atmosphere and how can we at least make it slightly more clean So yeah, so to answer your question in a long form, essentially the industrial revolution is really the pinpoint easy way to look at a graph and say, this is when it all started and when it all began. And I think that people sometimes get tripped up. I mentioned that there is periods in geological history that we do have warming and we do have cooling. But the problem is that since the industrial revolution, we have had such an extreme exponential growth in Mm-hmm. just increased temperature even that has mm-hmm. never been seen before in the history of the planet and it's not coming mm-hmm. down anytime soon hmm. yeah okay so that that leads me into my next question which is so why is this a problem like why should people care about this why what are the effects of climate change like like I know you said you don't like to be someone who just causes fear or makes people stressed out about like, ah, we only have so much time left. But 
yeah, why why should people care if they don't? I think that even just giving them the context of natural hazards, like we were saying, extreme hurricanes or fires Mm -hmm. or all of these threats, really natural threats that are coming to you because of climate change, you have to realize that that wouldn't be happening if we weren't continuing to produce the greenhouse gas emissions that we are today as not just as a country, but as a planet. And Mm -hmm. I think the other thing to realize is that we do live in a society where a lot of costs are hidden. I mean, let's just, everyone uses the example of Amazon two day free shipping. How fabulous, you know, like what a marvel of the modern era, but let's think about the shipping costs. Like what does it really cost? It's the carbon emissions that are getting that, product not only to your house from their US factory, but getting it getting whatever cheap product it is from overseas and getting it to you and mm-hmm. what are the labor costs associated with it and who is eating that cost. And mm-hmm. the I mean on the flip side, another one that I really like to talk about is water. I think water is one element, I suppose, that I am I'm of the belief that water is our most limiting factor as a human society. I think that we have a really poor understanding of how much water is actually being used in America. And when we think about things like cattle farming, you know, the beef industry uses an unbelievable amount of water, truly. They say Mm -hmm. that to produce one pound of beef, it's the water equivalent of your showers every day for six months. So it's a lot of water that goes into the cattle industry. We have no concept of that because water is incredibly heavily subsidized in America. Think about your water bill. Like, if you don't Mm -hmm. mind me asking, like, what do you think your water bill costs in a month? I think our water bill, it's... For some reason, it's always the same. I, I don't I don't quite understand how that works, but it's always right around like $45. Yeah, that's extremely, extremely low compared to the cost right. of water, wouldn't you believe? And then when yeah. we think about things like the cattle industry just generally being subsidized. Anyway, so I know I'm getting into a lot of nuances, but I think that no, no, people great. don't always care about climate change because they do not see it hitting their wallet and they don't believe that it's necessarily... Yeah. It's not necessarily costing them anything, but it's costing someone something. So it is happening today. Uh, I think natural effects are a really interesting thing also because when we're thinking about things like your home, this is very likely your home is the most valuable thing that you own. And whether that is you've just bought a home or your family lives in a home or whatever it is, your home is important. It's the most valuable thing you own. So if you have the threat of a wildfire, let's say you're living in California, and a wildfire burns down your home. If your home is insured, you're getting insurance money to build your home exactly where it was. It's not mm-hmm. you can go and take this money and build it somewhere in Iowa or wherever else you want to go. Mm-hmm. So realizing that this is going to continue to happen and you're going to continue to lose your belongings and continue to be threatened out of your space, it is impacting you and it's going to happen today or in 20 years. But it's just a matter of what natural hazard is going to get to you first, unfortunately. Sure. Yeah, no, totally. And is there like a end point? I feel like that's kind of what some people try to allude to of like, okay, well, we only have like at the rate we're going, we only have 20 years left. And I, I get I get the point of saying that, but I don't quite understand what that means. And maybe you don't agree with that. But it's almost as if, okay, at this point, the earth, the earth is going to implode because of what we're doing. Like, so, I don't know if I'm making sense, but I'm wondering, is there like some end point of like, and at this point, we won't be able to withstand any more climate change? Yes. Yeah, that's a really, really good question. So 
generally, we aren't even necessarily measuring it in years. I think the Mm -hmm. IPCC, which is essentially like the UN's arm for climate research, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and they put out all of the global reports and all of the global emission standards and things of the sort. So they generally measure it in parts per million, which is just It sounds like a really crazy scientific number, but it's really just like tons of carbon Mm -hmm. that go into the atmosphere. And Mm -hmm. to safely continue operating as a human society, we should be around 300 parts per million emissions. So it's we should be putting out about 300 million tons of carbon every year to operate safely. Mm -hmm. And as of today, as of this year, we're at about 450 between 430 and 450. So we're operating way above operating capacity, essentially. So Mm. that's concerning. And when you hear about things like we only have eight degrees, eight years left, or we only have 20 years left, that has to do with the amount of emissions that we're putting out and what we can reasonably see as warming given the data that we already have. We know how much the planet warms given a particular unit of carbon or greenhouse gases essentially that are putting out into the atmosphere. So we have Mm -hmm. the data. There are formulas and there are equations to say, okay, if we're going to continue emitting X million units of carbon every year, we're going to be warming by this amount. So when you hear eight years, it really has to do with the the business as usual protocol of how much we're emitting and how much that's going to warm the planet. And typically they say the cutoff is, I mean, a lot of people don't really, you know, they glass over when you say 400 uh, parts per million, 430 parts per million. The cutoff is really two degrees of warming. We don't want to see over two degrees of warming on average at the global scale because past that, it's kind of the point of no return. We're not getting back the planet that we once lived on. It's not going to be your grandfather's America if we go over two degrees of warming. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I always like to point out too, and I, I think you would agree with this, but tell me if I'm wrong, that with conversations about this like you hear like save the planet you know you hear that kind of terminology a lot and one time someone pointed out to me and I I thought this was a really good point was that it's not so much about saving the planet as it is about saving our own lives because the planet will still be around like the planet's not just going to disintegrate into space but it's us that aren't going to be able to survive anymore. Like, like you said, whether it's a natural disaster or just extreme weather that we can't survive in, like it's, it's our lives that are endangered, not, not necessarily the planet. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I agree 100%. And I think you made a really good point that the planet existed long before us and it's going to continue to exist long after us. And I mean, even saying like you're under threat of an extreme disaster or extreme weather or whatever it may be, I don't want people to take that as like, it's now or never life or death. It kind of is, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't really get people to change their ways and get people to shift to decarbonizing our economy. It's really just a matter of educating people and making them aware and making those really reasonable save the planet choices at an attainable level. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so I have a, a question that I'm going to throw at you that I didn't warn you about. but And if you don't have an answer, that's totally fine. But I'm just curious. When, I, when we talk about stuff like that, like saving our own lives, obviously, depending on your belief system, like you might think, I don't need to worry about that. Like for me, I know I, I'm a Christian. And like on one hand, like I believe we have a responsibility to like take care of what, you know, God has given us. But on the other hand... I also believe that like my life isn't ultimately like in my own hands 
And so I was wondering, um, just because I saw that you did that uh, climate change and religion episode recently, I was wondering if you had any takeaways from that conversation that you could share with people who might be like in a similar boat of being like, yeah, I get that this is important, but like ultimately it's not up to me. Like I'm not big enough to control this. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. So I'll go ahead and say that I grew up in a Catholic family. I grew up going to Catholic church, but Uh it's not something that I practice now. I Uh haven't really practiced it since I was maybe 14. And that's okay. I mean, I think that I have those general values. I'm comfortable talking about religion. I always make this joke that I learned a lot about religion, if not more from art history classes in college, (laughs) because all art is Christian art. Uh So I learned a lot through that. And I think it's interesting to talk about religion in that more, I don't want to call it an academic context, but because I'm not necessarily in this personal relationship, I suppose, with mm-hmm. religion, yeah, I feel pretty comfortable like talking about it with other people and just sure. hearing their viewpoints. So I hope that makes sense and paraphrases a little bit about yeah. what I was able to take away. I really enjoyed that episode and I'm glad that you enjoyed it as well because I learned a lot from it mm-hmm. and I'm very to have a community that enjoys calling in and sharing their viewpoints with me. And so on that episode, I was able to speak with three of my listeners who are quite religious and active in their religious communities. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a really cool episode because they all have pretty similar takeaways in different contexts, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And what I understood was if you believe, even on an ethical level, God wants you to fight for equality and look at all people equally and advocate for ethical means and human rights and whatever else it may be, you Mm -hmm. should be concerned about the fast fashion industry because those garment workers aren't living the life that God would have wanted them to live. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really good takeaway. It's like if you're fighting for equality and believe that all people are equal and all lives matter, quote unquote, it's that you need to be also fighting for people in these industries that have been historically oppressed because of the way that we operate and these, you know, Amazon prime deals that you aren't realizing the true cost. There are people on the other end of it. So Mm -hmm. that was one really interesting takeaway. And Mm -hmm. then the flip side was everyone generally gave this consent that as Christians, there is this understanding that Jesus will return and he's going to come back at some point so please correct me if I'm wrong I'm like talking out of you know (laughs) please correct me if I'm wrong but yeah yeah if Jesus returned like is this the way that you want to welcome him back to your planet is this the way Mm -hmm. that you want to say like we took really good care of it for you and and what is he going to say about that Mm -hmm. and I thought that was such an interesting take too because you want your home and your planet to be in as best shape as possible for that return so I I thought that was a really interesting takeaway too it was Also interesting to hear a little bit about more of the, what's the word I'm looking for, like the bigger picture logistical parts of religion and climate change. Like the Pope Mm -hmm. just put out a whole report about climate change and it wasn't for Christians, Mm -hmm. it was for everyone to read. I thought that was really interesting, the Pope taking a stance on climate change. Um, There are entire monasteries dedicated to veganism and composting and green monasteries and things of the sort. There Mm -hmm. There are people that realize in order to live the most sorry, I don't want to say realize because I think realize kind of implies this, you know, like moral high ground that I'm advocating for. But Mm -hmm. um, there are people that are of the belief that in order to live as godly as possible and as purely as possible, you want to 
really respect animals and you want to really take care of the earth and you want to really participate in all of these activities that have been labeled as green and sustainable and whatever, but it's really just a matter of taking care of yourself and taking care of the planet and leaving everything in as best shape as you can. Right. Yeah. No, that's a great answer. And I think that actually segues well into my next question on this topic, which is why is this so controversial? (laughs) Like, like, you know, whether it's um, your belief system or like politics, I, I, personally like don't really understand why this is a political topic like why it's like one side feels this way another side feels this way so for anyone that's listening whether they're conservative or liberal or whatever just wherever they you know stand if there's really truly scientific proof of climate change happening why is it so controversial why do people feel like it might not be true like it's all a myth That's an excellent question. I feel like I've been saying that about a lot of your (laughs) questions, but you're really hitting it. I think that it's controversial because there's money behind it, quite frankly. And even just on the individual level, telling someone that their activities and their choices are contributing to the ultimate demise of the planet, it's you're threatening someone's belief system and you're threatening someone's moral understanding of how they operate. And you're telling someone that the way that they're living isn't right. So I think a lot of people just take that to heart, quite frankly, on the individual level. And then on the political scale, I think it's just that there's a lot of money. There's a lot of money from oil companies. There's a lot of money from, I mean, you hear a lot about like pharmaceutical companies influencing policy or whatever else it may be. And I'm not saying that pharmaceutical companies have a horse in the climate race necessarily, but there is a lot of opposing forces in who is putting people into power, especially in America. Mm. And again, going off that idea of threatening someone's moral high ground, I suppose, of saying that the activities they're participating in are wrong, thinking about where people invest their money, thinking about the way that even, again, like our car economy operates. Why do we only have gasoline-fueled combustion engines? And why are we only advocating for you know, maintaining fracking culture as opposed to cutting it out altogether? Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a matter of who is in power in America, unfortunately. And it sounds a little bit like a conspiracy theory coming out of my mouth, but it's really about just like economic incentives people have to maintain the fossil fuel economy, essentially. Wow, that's really interesting that it's like, so that's why, like, that's why some people would deny that it's happening. Yeah, I also think that a lot of people don't always realize how seriously Uh, manipulated they are. I think manipulated is another word that's kind of conspiracy theory, but a lot of people might remember the word carbon footprint. I think that's one that gets tossed around a lot. And I do encourage everyone to look at their carbon footprint and see where they're impacting the planet. And it's usually things like if you're taking a lot of flights, that increases your carbon Mm -hmm. footprint, or if you're eating a carnivore diet. But the term carbon footprint and the whole methodology around carbon footprint calculations was actually a marketing by BP in the 70s and 80s. And it was about an oil company passing along that blame to the consumer. So I think a lot of people don't always realize just like how minuscule their individual actions are. I think that, and that's also awful because I do encourage people to change their actions, but I think that you have to realize there are bigger horses in this race. There are bigger players in in this arena, essentially, Mm -hmm. when it comes to a fossil fuel economy. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
So don't just uh, believe whatever the politician you like is saying. <laughs> do yeah, your own research. <laughs> do your own research. And I think it's just, yeah, doing your own research is important and not not taking everything for face value is important. I always say uh, use your critical thinking skills. I mean, we're smart people. And mm-hmm. if you're just choosing to blindly believe something, that's okay. But just realize that you're not always perhaps given all of the information that you need to make a really moral decision that's the best for you and your family Mm -hmm. okay that's that's really interesting thank you for explaining that climate change does not happen in a vacuum even if we're not thinking about it it's impacting our lives and we are impacting it I thought Laura did such a great job of explaining what's happening around the globe and why greenhouse gases are such a concern. I don't know about you, but I feel much more educated on this topic and like I can actually explain what climate change really is. We don't have to be scientists to understand that the way we're going about things is not working and that this does require our attention right away. However, I also love that she pointed out that it's not all on our shoulders. In part two, we're going to talk more about the solutions to climate change, but for now, I find it so comforting to know that we can still make an impact with our little lifestyle changes. Like I always say, we're never too small to make a difference, but it's also on the shoulders of some of these bigger corporations and industries, right? It's not all on us. That's why I thought it was important to release this episode soon before election day approaches. We're just about a month away from election day, which is totally crazy, and so many people have already cast in their ballots. I will never tell you who to vote for, I promise. I never want this show to be a super political one where you feel like I'm trying to convince you to vote for certain candidates over others, but I will always encourage you to do your own research before you head to the polls. And this is not just about the presidential election, okay? This is not just for American listeners either. This is for all of us, no matter where we live, and it's also about our local elections, okay? This is going to be affected by the local reps who we elect, so make sure you're really prepared and know where you stand with each of the candidates before you head to cast your ballot. Also, while you're setting reminders on your phone, make sure that you tune in next week because Laura will help to explain what exactly we should be looking for in policy from our leaders, amongst many other things that she's going to cover. But it's helpful to know some of the terms and things that we can expect out of what our leaders are providing us for a climate action plan. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for Laura for being a guest on the show and for educating us all. And thank you for taking the time to listen. I really hope that you learned as much as I did. And if If you're looking for anything that we referenced, you can find those things in the show notes, which are available on the app that you're listening to or on my website, heartfelthippie.com. And of course, don't forget about leaving a review. Don't forget about subscribing and don't forget about sharing the show. I would love to hear if you learned anything or what your biggest takeaway was. You can always message me privately or even better, you could post about the show online, share it with the world and tag me in it. I would love to hear that you are listening and what you're learning. Also, in case you didn't see over on social media, I have a new account that is specifically for the podcast. So I still have my personal account over at The Heartfelt Hippie, but now the Enlighten Me podcast has its very own social media because I find it that important. I didn't want to be flooding your feed too much every day, so now I have two separate accounts, one for personal things, which is still filled with a lot of my eco-friendly living tips, sustainability hacks, and other things that I care about, but the podcast has its own account now where I'm going to be posting just about that and about my guests. So make sure you check that out and follow along if you want to get notified whenever something new is coming with the podcast. 
In the meantime, do your own research on what is happening with our planet. Do your own research on where each of our candidates stand before election day is here. Consider how you can take steps to reduce your own impact and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out. Someone